0: Hey, Grace Family, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what a week it's been and continues to be for our nation. We're at a slight timing disadvantage here as we typically record these video messages earlier in the week for the coming Sunday. And it's Friday now as I record this and the election results are still not settled. And who knows what might be the case on Sunday as you're watching this. But as we're all holding our collective breaths, waiting on certain election outcomes, we can also breathe a sigh of relief knowing our king is on his throne. Always has been, always will be. We didn't elect him, there's no term limits, no balance of power dynamics to worry about. His place is secure, his plans and purposes will never be thwarted, and his goodness and love for us never wavers. So as our country counts votes, we can count on those truths. But no matter what happens, no matter who's in or out, we are called to pray for our leaders. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, urges us to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way. For all those who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And this is a good thing, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to an understanding of the truth. This prayerful advocacy isn't just for leaders you like or for the leaders you think have faith in God, but it's for all those who are in authority. So let's do that now. Let's join together in prayer for that purpose. Father in heaven, God of each of us and God of all of us, we come to you today to lift up the leaders of our country as we come to an end of a term as well as the beginning of a new term of leadership. And Lord, we first just want to acknowledge you as the creator of all people, people created in your image, people of great worth and people who stand in places of leadership under your providential plan. Lord, you have given each of them gifts, talents, and intelligence, and we pray that they might use them for the common good of our society. Lord, give them the discernment they need to weigh courses of actions and decisions that they have to make. And Lord, for those who don't know you, for those who don't live or lead in ways congruent with your ways, We ask that you reveal yourself to them, that they might see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And help us as people to be continually in prayer for our country and our leaders, always seeking the greater good and well-being of others through our words and actions, not just towards those we agree with, but for those we don't. And may we draw strength from what unites us instead of dwelling on what divides us. And may we be a witness to a watching world by the quality of our love for our neighbor. And as always, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen.
1: i um... Glory Of you are.
2: as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians we'll be looking at the same passage as last week, which is Ephesians 2:11 through22. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember at the time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy people in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Good morning. Well, it's been a big week in our nation. Uh, We're going to continue our series in Ephesians, uh, but we're going to do it in a way that also acknowledges this moment. And we're in the same passage as last week, and and I hope this passage can ground us uh, with this reminder of of what God is most up to in the world today in a way that that shapes how we experience elections, uh, election results and anything like that. And just full disclosure, I'm recording this at a time when the results are very much up in the air, and they may still be up in the air when you watch this. But what's good is what I have to say uh, has nothing to do with who ends up winning. So um, I just want to ground us in, in what God is most up to in the world today. So last week we looked at this beautiful passage uh, on unity, the unity that Jesus brings through his death on the cross. And what this passage is all about is how Jesus has taken these two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, these ancient enemies across across religious, across Uh, social, across racial lines, and he has brought them together into one people of God through his death. And so we're celebrating that unity and what God is up to in the world. And I want to continue that theme of unity today, uh, but focus on the last four verses in this passage, verse 19 to 22. And there's two images that I want to fix our eyes on in terms of what God is up to in the world today. So the first image, uh, both images come in verse 19. The first image is this image of fellow citizens. Let me read verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. I thought it was interesting that we're hearing the language of citizens during an election week. Um, But what God is up to is he is forming a new nation. And it's citizenry. Is composed of what my translation says, God's people. Um, literally in the Greek, it is uh, fellow citizens with the saints, meaning the holy ones, meaning those in the world whom God has set apart for Himself, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. God is forming a new nation's a new nation, and its citizenry is composed of Jews and Gentiles from all sorts of places, uh, from all sorts of countries who are brought together through faith. In Jesus Christ. And it's this beautiful fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So back, you know, in Genesis 12, God made this promise to Abraham. He called him and he said, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you into a nation. And that land back then was uh, specified with very concrete geographical borders the ancient land of Palestine in that nation of course in that time was going to be his physical offspring his descendants and yet God had promised through Abraham's nation to bless all the nations of the world and so what we're seeing here now is in the new covenant this blessing is being fulfilled in Christ in this beautiful way that all kinds of people are being brought into Abraham's family into his nation through faith in Jesus Even Gentiles, not just Abraham's physical descendants, but those who share Abraham's faith. And not just people in ancient Palestine, but these are people in in the city of Ephesus, well outside the borders of, of the promised land. And so this is what God is up to. He's forming a new nation, a new citizenship that comes not by birthright, not by where you're born, not by your lineage, but by sharing in the faith that Abraham had. Now, faith in Christ. So that's what God is most up to in this world, creating a new nation of diverse people from all over the place, united in Jesus Christ. That's the first image. The second image is also in verse 19, and it's the end of the verse. He says, and you are also members of his household. And let me just read on to the rest of the passage. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the image is you're members of God's household, and he's talking about a building that ends up being a temple. And this is what God is at work in the world doing. He is forming a new temple in the world. And here we have the fulfillment of this promise, again, that God made in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. He had promised to dwell with them. And so beginning back in the wilderness, as they were you know, moving through the wilderness in tents, God said, I want you to build a tent for me. We call it the tabernacle. But he says, I'm going to camp out with you guys. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. And then when they moved into the promised land and they set up a capital city, they built a permanent structure there known as the temple. And it was in a specific location. It was made of these stones and these precious metals. Some of you have been to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so this was the place in the Old Covenant where God's presence was said to dwell in this qualitatively different way. His presence with His people in the capital city, in the building of the temple, residing above the cherubim in the Holy of Holies. And what Paul is talking about here is this beautiful fulfillment that God is now at work in the world forming a new kind of temple. And this temple is not built together with stones. Verse 22 tells us this temple is built together with people. We are the stones of this new temple. The foundation of this temple, in verse 20, is the apostles and the prophets. That is to say, the foundation of this new temple are truths. They They are truths that have been passed down by the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the foundation, the cornerstone, is a person. Christ Jesus himself, it says in verse 20. So this is God's new temple. It is a spiritual community, a fellowship of people, again, from every tribe and nation. And now his spirit dwells among his people as we gather, as we love, as we serve, as we engage one another. This is what God is up to in the world. He is forming a new temple in which his spirit can dwell. Okay, so these two images, a new nation, a new temple, all that to say Jew and Gentile and all kinds of people from all kinds of places being brought together in unity through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is God's ultimate purpose in what he's doing? Well, his purpose is to reveal a mystery. And this is really profound. You've got to go to to chapter three. Let me read to you chapter three, verse four to six. Paul says, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery, Jew and Gentile, and we could say male, female, rich, poor, young and old brought together into one nation, one temple, one body. And what's the ultimate purpose of this for God? Verse 10, this is the key. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul's saying this, God is creating this new community. And his intent is to reveal his manifold wisdom. And that word manifold literally means diverse or even multicolored. Okay. And in this context, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, this diverse group of people being unified into one body. And the idea here is when the world sees these very different people, different types of people loving each other, unified, they'll, they'll look at this community and say, what gives? Like, These people have no business being together. What is making them so unified? And they'll conclude, maybe God is among them. And that God, man, he must be really wise. He must be really powerful to be able to pull something off like that, to bring such diverse people together in unity. So that is what God is up to in the world. He's forming a nation, a temple, a community of diverse people united in Christ, And in so doing, he wants to reveal his wisdom and his power and his glory to the world. That is the primary thing God is up to in the world today. Okay, so in light of that, how does that help us in terms of how we sit with an election like this one or or any election, really? And here's what I want to say. I am not saying that we shouldn't deeply care about a national election. I am not saying that God doesn't deeply care about a national election. I just said God is most at work through his church. That is his plan as this new community. But it is also clear in scripture that God is at work among the nations. Let me give you a couple verses. Psalm 22, God rules all the nations. Psalm 66 His eyes keep watch on the nations. Job 12, he builds up nations and he destroys them. He expands nations and he abandons them. Daniel 2, he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. All that to say, God is at work in the course of national and political events within our nation and every nation. So my point is not that we shouldn't care, that we shouldn't pray, that we shouldn't fight, for what is going on in our nation. My point is this. When we see the thing that God is most up to in the world, what that means is that all other allegiances, all other hopes, all other fears, all of those become right-sized. They become rightly ordered. So our political celebrations become right-sized, and our Political disappointments become right-sized. When elections go our way, we celebrate. When they don't, we grieve, we're disappointed. But all of that is placed within the larger context and the larger hope of the thing that God is most doing in the world, in this new nation, in this this new temple, this new community that he is forming. So let me just tease this out a bit before I I close. Um, I'm gonna make a statement that might sound kind of weird at first, but I think it'll make sense. So Christianity is an incarnational religion. What I mean by that is is we believe in the incarnation. We believe that there is a God who didn't just remain abstract. It didn't just remain a spiritual abstract being somewhere out there, but he actually became incarnate in a specific man, in a specific culture, in a specific time, in a specific place. He became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. In the implications of that incarnation, the church has always seen implications for how we live out an incarnational ministry in our own lives. The fact is we too, we're not disembodied people. We don't live out an abstract disembodied faith, right? We have been placed in a particular body, in a particular culture, in a particular city, in a particular family, and to the point of this week, in a particular country. And those tangible details about our lives are not irrelevant. They're important to how we live out our lives. We've been placed in this family, or this city, or this country, and with that comes a specific responsibility to those things. And so there's an appropriate love that we should have for our country, an appropriate affection, an appropriate Loyalty that we have for our country that we don't for other countries because this is our country, right? Because God placed us here and not somewhere else. And so what we do is two things. On the one hand, we work and we toil and we pray for the blessing of our country, America, right? We work and toil and pray for its peace and its flourishing, for the common good of its citizens, We do that through the political process. We we vote. We cast our votes. And we let our biblical values, our biblical worldview, shape how we vote. Because we have a vision for human flourishing that the Bible gives us that informs many of the ways that we vote. That tells us, here's how human societies will flourish. Here's how they won't. So without apology, we vote vote according to our Christian convictions. Um, We work and toil and pray to create culture in the various arenas that God has given us authority over. Some of us run businesses or have impact in in businesses. And what we do is we work to create a culture in that business that hopefully is aligned with God's values. Or we live uh, in communities, we live in neighborhoods, and we work and pray to create a certain culture in that neighborhood. We live in a family, we want to create a family culture. All that to say we work and we toil and we pray for the blessing of this nation right? Because it's our nation, because God has put us here. But I also want to say this, ultimately our deepest responsibility is not to secure the blessing of this country. Our deepest responsibility is to bear witness to another country. And this is another country where our allegiance runs even deeper, where our citizenship is even more important. And the country I'm talking about, obviously, is is not the country of our physical birth, but is the country of our spiritual birth. It is what the scriptures call the kingdom of God, what Revelation calls the new Jerusalem that is on its way. And so that's our ultimate responsibility, to bear witness to that country by living by faith in the midst of the very tangible expressions of our lives today. Let me read to you from Hebrews 11 which is this great chapter of faith and how the men and women of old uh, in the Old Testament uh, bore witness to a deeper country through the way that they lived in this time by faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's this beautiful picture of people who, through their faith, bore witness to the fact that they were longing for an even better country. And that is our ultimate responsibility, to to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Paul puts it simply in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So to sum this all up, we work and pray for the good of this country, but ultimately we also bear witness to another country another nation. We live lives that say my deepest allegiance and my deepest hopes are in that country. And the great thing is um, we can do both of these at the same time. These don't have to be at odds with each other because we can work for the good of this nation in ways that also bear witness to the nation that we will one day belong to, to the kingdom of God. So however you find yourself this weekend, I want to leave you Uh, with the wonderful promise of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, his great kingdom sermon. And he puts it this way. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's to say, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, for they will inherit not just this nation, not just this place, but they will inherit the entire earth, which is to say the new heavens, and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that Jesus will bring at his return. So go in the hope of that.
1: I, you have raised us to new life
0: Yes Well, we hope you've been encouraged today and as always, we invite you to consider the questions we provided at the end of this video. Let me just end our time with this benediction from 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit